Hi, I'm Aaron Jones. On today's episode, I thought I'd tell a couple myths, one of which was requested by Clover Holman. Clover, I hope this makes your quarantine a little bit easier. Today we will fight curiosity with Pandora, rebel with Prometheus, and fly a little too high with Icarus in my retellings of these famous myths. Welcome to Hiking Olympus. Long ago, the gods of Olympus won a mighty and long war against the titans, called the Titanomachy. But with their victory came boredom. Nothing to love, or even torment as the world they had once known, had become no more. One day Zeus instructed Hephaestus to create something new, something special, and something alive. Hephaestus quickly started to plan. He told the gods to merge earth and fire, as well as any other element that could merge with another. These became the creatures of the earth. And some even took the likeness of the gods. These were called men. The gods saw that all was good, and all that was left to do was to allot what qualities were to be given to these creatures. Zeus gave that task to brothers Epimetheus and Prometheus. Epimetheus became excited and begged his brother to allow him to give the qualities while Prometheus created them. Prometheus reluctantly agreed. And so Epimetheus became so excited and went to work right away. He gave some creatures speed to get away from predators, others fur to keep them warm. And some took to the water, while others took to the skies. In all his excitement, he forgot one creature, men. But there was nothing left to give them. Naked, vulnerable, and cold, Prometheus was tormented by his compassion and went to Zeus and begged him to give man fire to warm and care for themselves. Zeus agreed and took his lightning bolt and struck the treetops and a great fire danced across the trees, but never consuming them. Men needed only to reach up and take it. This became the golden age. The world was so perfect that none needed to work. Food grew ready for the taking and there was no seasons, illness, or strife. Life went by peacefully, each day like the last. It was truly a paradise. The only thing that separated men from gods was death. But even when their time came, they would simply sleep and be taken to the Elysian fields where they would continue in the afterlife in peace. One day, Zeus grew tired of men living like his equals, joining the gods at the assemblies and eating beside him. Zeus began to forge the divine order. Zeus at the top, all the other gods just a step below him, and men at the bottom. Zeus threw a festival for both men and gods alike. He ordered an ox to be sacrificed and divided into two. The best would be given to the gods, and the rest was for men. It was this act that would define the fate of mankind. All the gods were in favor of this, except for Prometheus. He feared that all that was already given to men would be taken away. Zeus made Prometheus responsible for dividing up the ox. Prometheus, having foresight, plotted to deceive Zeus. After sacrificing the animal, he took the bones to one side and began to cover them in a glistening, glistening layer of fat, giving them a tempting appearance, but it could not be eaten, so it looked the best unstained from blood and viscera. Then. 
Prometheus took the edible meat and covered it in a pile of bones and skin. It was by far the most unattractive out of the two piles. Then Zeus stood up to make his choice. This decision would choose the fate of men and gods. Zeus, of course, chose the pile that Prometheus hoped he would, the bones covered in a shining layer of fat. But having tasted this portion, learning that it consisted only of bare bones, Zeus went into a rage and demanded Prometheus and man to pay. Zeus first withered the crops, forcing man to work in order to feed themselves, and then Zeus extinguished the flames within the trees. Prometheus rushed to Athena, who had always looked kindly upon him, and pleaded with her to help him save men, for they were paying the price for something that they didn't do. Moved by Prometheus's compassion for these mortals, she agreed to allow him to slip into Olympus unseen. Once inside, the daring Prometheus took embers from the sacred hearth and hid them in a hollowed-out fennel stalk. And then he rushed down Mount Olympus and gave it back to man. When Zeus saw that men had fire once more, he sought to make Prometheus pay dearly for his crime. And so he called upon Hephaestus to create the first woman. He crafted her out of clay and gave her the perfect form, created in the likeness of all the goddesses. Aphrodite endowed her with grace and beauty. Athena taught her crafts. Hermes taught her stubbornness and curiosity. The graces adorned her with gold jewels and brilliant gems. And the graces crowned her with spring flowers with a sweet, sweet aroma. And finally Zeus gave her the breath of life. They named the woman Pandora, meaning all gifted. After the gods worked hard to create her, Hermes then took Pandora to Epimetheus to be his wife. Prometheus advised his brother not to accept anything from the gods, but when Epimetheus saw Pandora and her divine beauty, he accepted her right then. One night, Hermes came to her bedside and gave her a dazzling box, but warned her to never open it. Pandora spent many days and nights attempting to control her curiosity, but in the end, she could no longer tame herself, and she defied the gods, just as Zeus hoped she would. As she opened the box, out of it poured the cruel and vengeful gifts from the gods, disease, hatred, war, famine, death, sorrow, and pain. Horrified, Pandora slammed shut the box, but it was too late. The woes of the world had already been unleashed. The only thing she managed to keep inside the box was seething and relentless gift of hope. Now that the mortals had been punished, Zeus turned his wrathful gaze to Prometheus and ready to make an example of him. He bound Prometheus to a mountain deep in the Caucasus and sent an eagle to devour his liver day after day to remind him of the best cut that he had given to men. Well, it seems that the road to Tartarus is paved with good intentions. Let's take a quick break, and when we return, let's take flight with Daedalus and Icarus.
Are you a witch? Looking to be a witch? Or are you just wanting to take a peek behind the curtain? Are you tired of the same regurgitated witchy content you find everywhere? Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path is a refreshing new podcast hosted by Molly Dyer. Join her for intimate conversations with practitioners of unconventional and less mainstream forms of witchcraft, including Southern and American Conjure, Appalachian Folk Magic, Granny Witchcraft, Fairy Witchcraft, Arcane Poisoners, Secular Witchcraft, Atheopaganism, Satanic Witchcraft and Luciferianism, and so much more. Don't forget to get out some witches brew and join Molly on Wednesdays on Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path on all major podcast platforms. How far will you go for freedom? Would you be able to control the temptation for more if you obtained it? There once was a man by the name of Daedalus, taught by the goddess Athena. He was an inventor renowned for his work and awe-inspiring talents. Many of his creations seemed to come to life before those that looked upon them. But he was also a jealous man, who could not stand the idea of anyone else being revered beside him. One morning, his apprentice invented a saw, and Daedalus was outraged by the fact that he had never thought of such a thing. So he asked his apprentice to accompany him to the temple of Athena where he decided to push the young apprentice off from a high point. When word got out of what he had done, the people decided to exile Daedalus to Crete, an unusual fate considering killing an innocent on sacred ground would normally have you executed. But his works were so great that the people showed him mercy. Meanwhile, on a cold winter morning, the king Asterius of Crete has died. The island stood still and silent as his body was laid to rest, and his wife Europa weeped the stinging tears of a widow as his three sons stood by silently. Not long after the funeral, the king's son Minos asserted his claim to the throne. His brothers Radamanthus and Sarpedon disagreed, but Minos maintained his claim by saying the gods gave me this kingdom, and they will grant me anything that I ask. His brothers remained skeptical and unamused, but Menos aimed to prove it to them. After building a grand temple to Poseidon, he pleaded with the god of the sea to send him a bull to sacrifice. Right then, out from the waves came a brilliantly shining white bull. Onlookers and his brothers were stunned silent at the sight. Never had anyone seen such a beautiful animal before. In that moment, his brothers gave in, and Menos ascended to the throne with no further contest. Unable to sacrifice the beautiful bull, Minos decided to trick Poseidon and sacrifice another bull in its place. Offended by the deceit, Poseidon, under the cover of night, went into the bedchamber of King Minos and his queen Pesiphae. He circled the queen, whispering in her ear, and quickly left. The next morning, Pesiphae was deeply infatuated with the bull that Minos refused to sacrifice. Unable to shake the feelings raging inside of her, she went to see Daedalus and asked him to think of a way that she might lay with the bull to satisfy it. Appalled by the idea, he wanted to refuse, but Pasiphae threatened to have him and his son Icarus killed if he didn't comply. 
The defeated Daedalus constructed a cow from wood and covered it in a hide. He took it to the field where the white bull was grazing and told Pasiphae to climb inside the wooden cow. Daedalus turned and didn't look back at the act that was taking place. Time had passed, and Pasiphae birthed the unholy abomination that resulted from the union. It had the body of a human and the head of a bull. It was called the Minotaur. Furious, Minos demanded that Daedalus undo what he had done, and thus designed a prison for the monster, the Labyrinth. Over time, Minos grew deeper with resentment and distrust, most notably because Daedalus had advised the king's daughter, Princess Ariadne, how to help Theseus by using a thread to find his way out of the notorious labyrinth which he designed to imprison the Minotaur that Theseus had defeated. Feeling betrayed for the last time, the enraged king imprisoned Daedalus and his son Icarus inside of the labyrinth. As was his way, Daedalus began to plan a way out of his own creation. Knowing that the labyrinth was intensely complicated, he knew that getting out on foot would not be likely. He also knew that the outside of the labyrinth was heavily guarded, so the only way out was from above. Daedalus and Icarus spent night and day searching the labyrinth for feathers that had been left behind by birds, as well as branches of osier growing on the other side. A man of busy hands, he always had some tools and material to work with on him. He used thin strips of leather and tied the branches together, and some wax to connect the feathers and fashioned together giant wings. Daedalus had taught Icarus how to use the wings for many days. On the final day, as they were ready to take flight, Daedalus cautioned young Icarus to stay on the middle way, too close to the sea, and the mist will soak the wings and he will drown. Too close to the sun, and the brilliant fire will scorch them. As they escaped, watching the labyrinth shrink quickly behind them, they both sighed with relief. The two had managed to escape the wrathful grasp of King Minos, as well as the laws of nature, and became flying men. Now that they were on safe winds, Icarus started to get carried away, flying more enthusiastically. Although he had been warned, Icarus flew higher and higher, chasing the thrill of the four winds and sight that had only ever belonged to the gods. His father had tried, but in vain, to make him understand that the, the dangers he could be in if he wasn't careful. But Icarus couldn't hear him through the wind. He continued upwards to greet the sun, but as he got closer, Daedalus had noticed the wax holding the feathers together had begun to soften and then quickly melt. Before he could act, his son's wings had fallen apart and Icarus had fallen to the sea. And there he died, never to fly again. Overcome with grief, Daedalus began to lament his son's death, and even the sea and island mourned with him. In his honor, the island called itself Icaria, and the sea called itself the Icarian Sea.
And now for today's Delphic Maxim. I was going to do these in order, but I decided why not keep them with the tone of the episode or with what's going on with the times. Today is Praise Hope. What hope is there to praise? How does one praise hope? What gives me hope? I'm Aaron Jones, and you've been listening to Hiking Olympus. Find me on Facebook at Hiking Olympus Podcast, and also on Twitter and Instagram at Hiking underscore Olympus. Send in your questions and ideas for future episodes, and we'll see what what we can uh, create together. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you later.